Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are football data editor for Opta, Kevin Jeffries, and GFFN writers, Eric Devin and Philip Bargio. Liga hit the spotlight this week as one of their mighty sides pulled the rug from underneath the Barcelona bandwagon mid-week. With another team looking to dispatch another behemoth tomorrow, could this finally be French club's signing moment, or is it this a false dawn? And could some of the new money-rich sides sustain that kind of success for the future? All of that and more after the latest headlines. Ligue weekend got off to a surprising start as Monaco were held 1-0 at Bastia ahead of their trip to Manchester. Bernardo Silva equalising after Sadio Diallo's goal had given the hosts the lead. On Saturday, Marseille got back to winning ways, defeating Rennes 2-0 at the Velodrome. And in the multiplex, which featured a trio of relegation battles, Angers held off Nancy 1-0. Tenman Lille won at the same score at Caen, while Metz earned a one-all home draw against Nantes through a late Sheikh Diabate penalty. Nice also won at Lorient 1-0 to keep their title hopes alive. But Mario Balotelli again hit the headlines with his third sending off of the season. On Sunday, Bordeaux kept pace with their European rivals with a 3-0 win over 10-man Gangdomp, while Lyon came from behind to thrash Dijon 4-2. Montpellier recorded their third win in four matches, coming from behind against Saint-Étienne 2-1, while Toulouse and Paris Saint-Germain played a scoreless draw at the Parc des Princes. In Ligue 2, Brest's win over Le Havre pulled them six points clear of Amiens, who could only draw against Valenciennes. Reims' victory at Clermont pulls them level with second place, while Lens, Strasbourg and Troyes are further two points back as the fight for promotion continues to be a close-knit affair. And that's all for the news, but remember, for all the latest headlines, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with Lille, who, with new owners, new players, and a new couple of managers in tow at the moment, are one of the more intriguing sides in Ligue 1 right now, and possibly for the future. Uh, Kevin is here to give us some insights into the project. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you very much. Hi, guys. So let's start with the basics here. What is the short-term goals and the long-term ambitions here for Gerard Lopez and his team? Uh, first of all, the, the short term is obviously to, to stay in Ligue 1 because uh, right now they're 14th, they're just four points above the, the last three, so it's not it's not one at all. And uh, a few teams behind them have uh, got a, a game in hand, so that's the short term, of course, you know, stay in Ligue 1 because without the the first division, I don't think the, the project would uh, would keep would be available. And what 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 about the long term sort of ambition? So the the hope obviously is to try and stay in Ligue 1 because they, they, they it was a good result of the weekend to get a, a yeah, win finally especially uh, with ten men. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, it was, it was a great result. But yeah, the the long term is to uh, to become more more str- uh, stronger. Uh, you know, they want to bring young players uh, to make them play in Ligue 1 to show them and to sell them at a good price and then keep uh, make the money coming and buy better players and then try to to fight for the First, first five spots, maybe the podium, you know, to fight with Monaco, Paris, Lyon. So that's maybe the in the near future, in one or two years, maybe that's the main goal. I think, especially with Bielsa coming, hopefully. 
Yes, and that was uh, that was announced at, around the, the weekend that Bielsa yeah. looks like he signed a year a years long deal, which seems like a, a strange length of building. What do you, what do you think to El Loco signing with the club? Do you think he's a good manager to push this team forward with this project? Yeah, I think he's a he's a great manager. You know, it's um, he's a workaholic. Um, everyone who he's worked with, they said he was a great manager. Um, every player, you know, uh, I don't know if you saw the Guardiola today said that he was uh, the best manager. He he knew uh, that every players who work with him uh, will become better. So I think it's, it's fantastic for, for the Liga, for Lille. I think it will bring the best of, uh, out of the players. But you know, man, um, even if he signed uh, two-year deals, uh, he's so unpredictable, you don't even know if he, if he will come. Like uh, with Lazio, he signed with them and uh, he didn't come eventually. So so we never know, but I think it would be a great, great manager for, for France and for Lille. We need something new in Lille because in the last few years you can see the the team getting weaker and weaker so we needed a, a new thing with new project a new manager so I think Bielsa would be a great one a great choice yeah I can understand from the frustration of especially with Frederic Antonetti earlier this yeah. season uh, Eric... Antonetti uh, Colo you know found it <laughs> big names yeah, whoever. No, there was, there was a couple of different ones that were yeah. almost little false stones every so often. Uh, Eric, I want to bring you in on this as well. And we, obviously, we've seen Bielsa previously at Marseille. Um, is this a really good signing for, for Lille to bring in? Did you think the style of play that he brings with him would fit the players that they're trying to play at this club? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a lot of, a lot of potential here. We've seen him do this before with young-ish teams. Uh, I think that Marseille certainly fit that bill. Um, you know, they do have some, certainly some more experienced players in, in the likes of Basha and, and Vincent Anyama and Frank Beria, but a lot of this team is younger, 25, 26 or younger, um, and I think that they're, they're still at a point in their careers when they can be molded perhaps a little bit. And we saw how uh, Bielsa had, had dramatically improved players both at, both at uh, Athletic Bilbao and at Olympique de Marseille, really getting the best out of them. I think Dimitri Paye is probably best example of that but you know the, there's there's a, a number of players who who i think in in this squad who have shown flashes of really being impressive i think about uh amadou i think about uh naim Sleety, that are that are still a little bit younger but could be massively improved to be you know european level you know as in lil being a team in the in the, in the european competition uh level talent and i i think that um you know it's going to take some work to adapt to the intensity of style that Bielsa likes to play, but I think there's a lot to be said here. I think the other thing too that and I, I wanted to ask, pose this as a question to you as well, Kevin. That they're they are spending quite a bit of money on bringing in players that are also youngish, the likes of Zika, uh, El Ghazi, Kishna, uh, players who I, I think can really make a difference. I mean that that El Ghazi's goal was quite well taken on on Saturday. I watched the match. Uh, but do you think that there's something to be said for the detriment of bringing in so many young players uh, and not giving some of the, their, their academy products more of a chance? Yeah, I think it's a bit, um, I think not the best, the best idea to, to buy so many players and to bring them uh, straight in the team. As you can see with uh, El Ghazi, Kishna, Gzeka, at the beginning it was a bit tough for them. They need to, to get in the team, um, not right now, you need uh, to to adapt to the French style and to, to become better with the team because we've got some great players and got some great talent as well. You said uh, Ibrahim Hamadou is a great example. He's a really bright talent. You've got Martin Terrier, 
We've got Yves Bisuma, who, who did a nice uh, African Cup of Nation. So we got we got some potential, and we got some players who are loaned in, uh, in Dunkerque, you know, like uh, uh, Jean Brozic, Arojo, some players like that. So we, we got potential in it. So they need to fit in, but they don't need to, to play try, straight away. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting mix, isn't it, to see how this yeah. sort of evolves over the next year or so. And and Philip, Kevin mentioned earlier about, um, let's say, his fiery personality for Marcelo Bielsa, and sometimes it can end in fireworks and bits like that. Do you think maybe that might put others off of importing someone like that and maybe starting a project with someone who can be a brilliant tactician and, and a and a someone with a philosophy that runs through a lot of different teams and now with his successes and bits. But is it maybe a risk to bring him in? Well, uh, all the person I've talked to about about Bielsa said he's a two-season two two season manager, but these days, you know, who isn't? Um, and I think a lot of people were quite critical of Bielsa at Marseille and uh, were actually proven wrong to be, to be as critical as they were. Um, given uh, how the club went uh, went down the pan uh, as he left, although they did sell their best players, so it's not uh, not that surprising. Um, so players are still uh, really uh, eager to to play for him. So I think it will be um, a good thing, but uh, that as usual, uh, it won't last very very long. But then again, you know, with who with who does that last? I mean, there really isn't um, isn't a lot of managers. Who stay at the same club for three seasons or or more? Um, I can um, yeah, I can think of Arsene Wenger among the rare examples, and that's it. So I don't know. I, I think uh, I think it will be good. I think they will, will be playing some very good football with um, talented talented players. Bielsa will um, make the likes of um, El El Ghazi uh, Cheka evolve into something uh, more than more than decent and uh, that they all uh, have um, um, a, a good shot of um, of Europe for 2018-19 but right now yeah the aim is to is to is to stay up one question I wanted to ask um, Kevin is uh, what's the deal with uh, with Frank Passy I mean uh, Koro was um, the interim manager He's not anymore. Uh, he was doing an okay job. Okay, there was uh, some kind of some uh, um, arguments with uh, with uh, with the players. Um, but um, does, did did Passy know that his uh, his contract was only for six months, or that uh, he was just um, some kind of a stopgap? No, no. Because uh, it, it sounds pretty dis disrespectful to to him to say, okay, you're coming here, and your aim is to ensure we don't go down. And then we're bringing in the real manager next season. Yeah, it, it seemed disrespectful, sorry. But um, he knew it straight away because he signed a four-month contract. So he mm. knew it straight away. And obviously, with uh, Gerard Lopez talking about Biesa uh, quite often, he worked with him. So it was pretty clear that he, he was coming just before Biesa to prepare the team and to prepare the, the club before the, the Argentine come. So, yeah, it seems disrespectful. But okay. straight away, it was a four-month contract. From the beginning. I mean, it is a it is a good fit though because um, Parsi is uh, apart from Marseille doesn't have a lot of experience in league mm -hmm. and uh, and um, well, actually started started quite well. It was his first uh, first game on on Saturday, wasn't it? A one nil one nil win at Cole, which is uh, extremely uh, extremely important for to uh, in order to um, avoid the drop. Yeah, That's it good. Was, it was was really important game, and uh, as you mentioned, uh, Patrick Colo did pretty well at the beginning. But I think he, he lacked um, a little bit of character. 
And I think mm. Pasi got that even even if he doesn't have that much experience because, as you said, Colo uh, did had some uh, arguments with uh, with uh, as you said the the guy from Corsica, the left back, uh, with Armand Kitano. Yes. Yeah. So I think Pasi won't have that kind of problem. I think. Okay, and um, just to um, maybe point out that this is quite important that Lille do get to European football and get big games uh, in midweek because they did did um, build a, a rather expensive uh, stadium. They've had so many, it's been so many years in um, uh, not poor stadiums, but not 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 exactly uh, football football arenas. I'm thinking about Clément Prejoris or Stade. Metropole Nord de Villeneuve Dask, which is an absolutely terrible ground with, with the athletic track. Probably the worst one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably is, is the worst one. In, in, actually, actually, is the worst one I've been to. Um, and uh, they actually played uh, some Champions League game at the Stade de France, which is not exactly yep. in Lille. And that's Stade um, Bollard as well. And that's Stade Bollard, which, which really wasn't very, very much, well, not very welcome news by the last fans. <laughs> and uh, now they've got now they've got their own stadium. They've got they've got their good a good stadium, a good ground. They can host uh, good games against um, uh, decent European competition. So yeah, we pretty much we pretty much um, hope that this this happens because in France we've had so many examples of of decent stadiums being built, but just nobody going. So it's it really is uh, millions and millions of euros uh, down down the drain and, and and a real shame. So it, it is it is good news that Gerard Lopez is. Um, has invested and that uh, Bielsa is coming because I mean uh, Lille will be wanting to 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 be in Europe eventually or maybe not Champions League but you know at least Europa League. Yeah, they have great tools with uh, as you said uh, the Stade Camorra and the Domaine uh, Domaine de Lichon, which is a fantastic mm. training ground. I've been uh, lucky mm. enough to to work there, and it's mm. amazing for the players. Every player that's so coming, they are very impressed by it. It was just fantastic training ground. So we've got everything to to be in Europe. So now yeah. we. we it's almost like the book club was built for someone to take over, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's let's curtail this talk with with the short term again, and that's like we've already mentioned Frank Parsi and, and keeping the side in the league. Uh, the, Kevin, they're surely too good to go down, aren't they? They are, but uh, we never know. You know, with so many new players, new trainers, they knew a new trainer is coming in the summer. You know, we were saying with uh, Monaco and Lens, they were too good to go down, and eventually they did. So, just we have to. Like the players say, to just one one game at a time and, and get the three points and then uh, stay up. Because you know we've got, uh, I think it's like uh, the last nine games we we conceded at least a goal. So you see, they need to be stronger defensively. They need to to be to be confident and to go on. Yeah, agreed. And they need to play Neclap de Prevo a little bit more from my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I'll leave my fanship out the road for it. Um, <laughs> Let's move on to um, what could be a really huge week in French football again, as uh, high-scoring Monaco will take on Manchester City tomorrow night. However, the Principality Club prepared for this one with a, a bit of a frustrating draw at Bastia, Eric. Uh, we know how tough it can be to get a result at the Friuliani, but it, this was still a surprise result, wasn't it? You know, honestly, I don't think so. Uh, I think that Monaco are so devastating on the counter. We saw that particularly against Spurs. Uh, we saw that against PSG. And so they're fine with being, not necessarily the underdog, but they're fine playing without the ball. But now what happens when they come up against a team that don't want the ball and want to play on the counter? Hmm. Then they struggle, I think, a little bit more. They struggle to have that creativity 
to break things down and work patiently with the ball. Well, we've seen this, I think, several times this season, particularly in 2017. We saw this against Socho. They had a really difficult time against the Ligue 2 side in the Coupe de Ligue. Now, granted, that wasn't a first-choice team, but they did bring on uh, the likes of Fabinho, the likes of Falcao, and they needed you know, a moment of genius, really, from Moutinho to even get an equalizer in that match. Uh, we saw it a couple weeks ago against uh, Montpellier. Montpellier, another team that are, are, are superb on the counter. Uh, and they struggled to to win that game. Two uh, one was the final there, and you know, and again, the same thing on Friday. They needed a moment of in, in, you know individual brilliance uh, from Bernardo Silva to win that match. Uh, you know, really a sublime finish. But this th that's the thing. You know, they're not going to face this tomorrow against City. City love to have the ball. Have Guardiola, you know, is known for that. But uh, it's going to be something that I think is going to crop up again and again. You know, the more Monaco cement their statuses as the prohibitive favorite for the league title, I think the more, I'm not saying they're going to be found out per se, but the more teams are going to have an inkling to play against them. I'm not going to say that, you know, they're going to face this counterattacking philosophy against, say, Leon or maybe Bordeaux. I don't know. Teams that are higher up in the table, but against teams that are scrappy and already have a proclivity for playing on the counter. Monaco are, are a little bit exposed, I think, because they don't necessarily have that that sensibility in them. They they and even though Jardines play different tactics, different players, the team have always been at their core a counterattacking side. Think back to that that team that got to the the Champions League quarterfinals with that front three of Silva, Ferrer, Carrasco, Marshall. That was a counterattacking side as well. And it, this is a totally valid and totally attacking and totally. Uh, worthwhile tactic to to approach playing football but there also needs to be some adaptability and i i don't really think that monaco have necessarily displayed that uh they had 65 percent of possession against bastia and uh only one goal and you know kind of a sublime brilliant one at that it wasn't as, as if they were necessarily getting uh, you know a host of, of close chances and leka played a blinder no, I mean they didn't. They didn't have the necessary cohesion to to put Bastia down in the way that they they should have. And I think that's, that's something that they're going to need to address. It's not going to be a problem in the Champions League. It's not going to be a problem against PSG in the Coupe League final. But you're going to crop up against the odd the odd match here and there. Uh, and again, they've already they've already played Nice and PSG twice. They're not going to play their title rivals again this season in the league. Uh, so, to how they manage that these so-called minnows in, in, in Liga is really going to be telling in terms of their, their pursuit for the title. It was a really interesting one. And, and Bastia have been a tough team, especially at the Furiani this season as well, where they have they were probably unlucky to lose to PSG in the opening game of the season. They played really well against Nisa just before, just after the uh, winter break at home. So they're, they're not, they're always a stubborn side in Corsica as well. But Kevin, Eric's briefly mentioned there, one player that really stood out yet again is, is Bernardo Silva, who is such a wonderful footballer to watch. My question is, is he one of, is he the best player in Liga at the moment when he's playing like this, where he's he's simply sometimes unstoppable? I think he is. I think he's one of, one of the best, definitely, because once he gets the ball and he's, he gets a bit of freedom, he's one of the best, to be honest. He's just uh, so good with his left foot, just getting, uh, always getting forward, and he's like unstoppable. In the Champions League, in the Liga, in uh, every competition, he's so good. 
So yeah, I think it'd be one of the the one the main force for for tomorrow's game. But um, I was one thinking about something else about uh, Valère Germain and uh, Kylian Mbappé because Valère Germain hasn't been that good. So what do you think, guys, about it? Do you think Kylian Mbappé should start or? Flip, I'll let you go first. Uh, no, no, I still I still Beyond. go four four two with uh, Falco and Germain up front um, and Mbappé in case uh, Monaco in case Monaco need a goal. Um, it all it all depends actually because Jardim has uh, has basically played four four two the whole this whole um, the, the whole season. Uh, but he did play four three three, a variant of four three three at the Parc des Princes. When in, in one of the only games where Monaco said, "Okay, we're not going to go full out attack. We're just going to press PSG and be quite organised with um, with a uh, midfield trio um, and uh, Bernardo Silva and Germain playing either side of, of Falcao." This is where I think Mbappe would not be particularly, um, you know, uh, what's what's the word, uh, comfortable. With uh, with that kind of a situation, unless he's being played uh, in as a, as a centre for in the centre forward slot, which I just don't see it happening. I mean, this is a big game against uh, yeah. against um, against a big manager against against Guardiola. So it'll be interesting to see how Jardim uh, how ja- how Jardim plays this, but I just can't see Mbappe starting. Eric Mbappe or, or Germain for you? I think that is. It- incandescent as Mbappe can be. I think a lot of what goes unsung about Germain is his, his, his running, his work rate. He's always pulling out to the flanks to drag defenders out of position and create space for Silva cutting inside, create space for a cross to Falcao. And that can't be undersung. I mean, that even if he doesn't have his scoring boots on, you know, City have had problems at the, at the back defensively, you know, for any number of years, particularly in the absence of Vincent Company, and he will not be playing tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I, I think Germain should should get the start. His his movement and his ability, and he, let's face it, Germain has delivered some really important goals this season. I mean, Monaco wouldn't be where they are now if they had lost to Villarreal, if they had lost to Fenerbahce, and and Germain was hugely important in those ties. Um, so yeah, I think he definitely deserves his place, his movement, his intelligence. Uh, he's not going to be the wild card threat, but hey, if you're down two nil and you need an away goal tomorrow, for example, yeah, bring on bring on Mbappe. But um no, Germain should get the start. Kevin, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Do you have a preference? I'm assume, I'm gonna safely assume you might be leaning towards Mbappe if you've posed the question. No, I think I think uh, pretty much the same at the as Philippe and Eric. I think uh Parajama should start and uh, Mbappe may come in if they need uh, a goal or some danger up front because he's so good uh, in one-on-one situation, is really great, great prospect for for, for Monaco and for the French team as well. He's only eighteen; he's just eighteen, which is is gets That's amazing. Was, yeah, was a better record than Thierry Henry at the same age. <laughs> the, the, all the facts with Mbappe scare me, which is yeah, crazy. Uh, why, why people might be thinking why he might start because he does add an extra dimension. He does that add that pace in behind. He was he was good when he came on against Bastia as well. I thought he did some good movement, and it, it's just that German has that experience. He has. Yeah. Ability to pull the space for Falcao, especially, and really give extra width when the players can, like Lamar and Bernardo Silva, are allowed to cut in because Germain's filling that gap in the wide areas. I mean, Silva scored a header at the weekend because <laughs> Germain's in that position where he's pulled out of that place. But it's, I'll come back to you, Kevin, as well. It's, it's, it's posing to be a really interesting game, this one between, you know, the high scoring of Monaco and what can be a really fantastic team in Manchester City of an, an interesting attacking young lineup with uh, what would have been Gabriel Jesus probably, but 
obviously injuries curtailed that. But Sane and Sterling alongside with Aguero, it's still very dangerous. This could be a really... And combine that as well with Monaco having a couple of defensive issues. Jemison's suspended. Uh, Raji's injured. So they it could even be Fabinho, it looks like, maybe playing centre-back. It could be a really ex- exciting attacking game, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be an amazing game because uh, it's two attacking teams. They've uh, got so many goals. Everyone I talk to are very looking forward to this game, maybe more than uh, PSG Barcelona or thing like that because you, you know yeah. Monaco can do something. They're playing such a great football since the beginning of the season. So yeah, everybody's looking forward. And as you say, um, defensively, Monaco has some issues. Uh, even Jibril Sidibe, we don't know if he will be fit for tomorrow. He's but not I'm, He's I'm, not made the trip. So, I, I, right, I'm so it will be uh, Amami Ture on the yeah. right. But Amami Ture did great that. Monaco to, to do something great. Maybe it wasn't the case last year or the year before. So yeah, it should be a great game, I think. Philip, what so are your thoughts? Is, Go ahead. <laughs> how, how do we think Monaco will uh, will will uh, will start? I mean, uh, I, I mean is Jardim uh, naive enough to to play four four two against uh, against a side like Guardiola? I honestly don't think so. But um, seeing seeing Manchester City, I just don't don't really know what to make of them. Um, they are, they have or maybe had. Uh, what was probably the best centre forward in, in in football in Sergio Sergio Aguero, yeah. he's been he's been good when he's been playing. He's been injured. Uh, some on, on some occasions he he was uh, he was fantastic. Uh, on some occasions he he went missing. There he's uh, I'm, I'm not even sure if he's injured or not these days. You've got this new guy from um, from Brazil, Gabriel Jesus, uh, who's uh, who started scoring as well. Um, there's the, um, the the goalkeeper who had a terrible terrible start to, uh, to 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 the Premiership and actually I think he lost his spot. It just I mean I honestly thought that um, by the time those two would meet, which is tomorrow, when the draw was made, um, Guardiola would have I don't know sorted this, this the side out. And it looks like he hasn't. I, I don't know if he hasn't done that or there have been some circumstances. I'm not I'm not particularly. Um, aware of, but it does. It does look like uh, Monaco. Um, it does look like City are there for the taking. That's uh, that's what I'm saying. Jardim is uh, uh, is tactically extremely competent. I'm sure he's he's been watching City a lot um, since since the draw was made. So yeah, I, I am quite confident. I'm quite confident, but I just don't really know what to what to predict for for tomorrow because I'm not not quite sure who uh, who's who's injured or not uh, regarding regarding Manchester City. But you know, I mean, I don't I don't see I don't see getting thrashed at all. That's that's for sure. Which which I which I honestly um, which I honestly thought you know at the start of the season. Uh, Eric, what, what, let me get you in on this and possibly your prediction on this. I mean, so you've mentioned companies out for City. It does look like the only other absentees will be Jesus who's, who's at, and uh, Ilkay Gundogan who are both out for the season. Um, do you think... I'm, it's one of those weird situations where there's a lot of people optimistic about Monaco. Do you do you share that enthusiasm, much like you did with PSG, I suppose? Uh, no, I, I don't think they're going to you know thrash City on, on the level of what we saw last week. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably say like a two-one win if I had to, had to put money on it. Um, you know, Monaco get the away goal, definitely keep themselves in the tie. Uh, we know how how adeptly they can set up shop, but I, I do think that without Jemerson, uh, City is a doubt, uh, Raji is a doubt. That we don't know 
you know, we don't know how solid Monaco can be defensively. So I'd say, you know, if Monaco could play a little bit more openly, uh, then, you know, maybe, maybe they could try and, try and, hit, try and get City on the counter and, yeah, 2-1, I, I think, on a way goal keeps them in the tie. Uh, if they don't score, and it's something like 2-0, 3-0, I, I would worry quite a bit more. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's certainly an interesting tie, and I don't think it's I – I think with these, this, these late-breaking injury news, it certainly muddies the, muddies the waters a little bit. I think if you had asked me a week ago, I, I would have been much more optimistic about Monaco. But uh, seeing the 11, potential 11 for Monaco being what it is, I, I'm not quite as confident as, as I would be uh, were they to be at, at something approaching full strength. Seeing this, Manchester City did not did not win at Huddersfield in the cup, which is not not a great uh, confidence booster either. What's what's the um, what's the general uh, mood uh, in in England, Nathan? Uh, is it uh, um, City saying, oh, "Okay, it's a French team, so they're obviously they're rubbish," or is it uh, saying, "Well, it is the best attack in Europe. Um, let's treat this with caution." Yeah, I, I think there's actually quite a bit of respect from English pundits for, for Monaco this season. And, and in the sense that Man City aren't playing terrifically well, they keep going between, they went on a really hot spell to start the season, then they went really cold, and now they can't decide quite where they are because they're still adjusting to Guardiola, they're still adjusting to Ilkay Gundogan would have been a really important part of them and, and bits like that. So they're not, they're really neither here nor there, but they're, they're treating this knowing that they've beat they've beat Tottenham twice and Tottenham are a really good side who have beat City this season. Well, dr sorry, they drew with City this season 2-2. Um, so they know just how good Monaco are. We, we all have heard the stories and, um, and yeah, it's, I don't think they're taking this as their injury issues with, yes, there's a couple on Monaco's side, but they know how good they can be as well. But let's, let's finish this topic with, with a quick prediction of score lines. Cause I always like these ones. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? Uh, go for a draw, one or Eric. I, I guess I said two one city win. Um, Philip, yeah, one all. Yeah, yeah. Got, I'll, I'll leave mine because mine will be in the uh, in the preview post so later on. So I'll I'll leave my prediction for then. So uh, thank you, uh, Kevin. You're leaving us now. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us. Thank this you, evening. guys. Follow him at Kev Jeffries on Twitter as well. He's uh, he's always interesting for his all his little news and obviously up to Jean as well, who always uh, give us a good stat or so. So thank you, Kevin. Thanks, guys. See ya. Right, we move on to that result in well off that result in Corsica that gave an opening for the newly minted European juggernaut Paris Saint Germain to close the gap to just a point, but Toulouse held firm at the Parc de Prince. They were held up by much better than Barcelona, which is a game I'd like quickly to get your thoughts on, Philip, because we thought me and Eric obviously discussed it in the preview show last on uh, Thursday. Uh, how did you rate their performance in midweek? Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> it was not bad. <laughs> I thought it would be that. I thought, you know, it could have been better. You know, could have, could have won 7 0, but hey, you know. Um, I just did not. Uh, uh, believe, believe what I was seeing uh, in the in the first half. Uh, you know, you know uh, how how optimistic I am uh, all the time and never ever complained. So at half time I was, uh, yeah, it's two 0 But if part if if Barcelona score a goal, we're we're not in deep shit, but we're still leading from from the first leg. But um, uh, decent that would have been a decent um, final result for Barcelona. And then you've got uh, you've got the third goal, uh, uh, master. 
Master Sword of a God with how you're taking uh, taking the ball very, from from very deep. Uh, Busquets uh, being nowhere near the the back four where he where he should be, and Di Maria with all the time in the world to to adjust. It was just. Um, it was it was a brilliant performance. Unai proved all his doubters wrong. Um, playing playing the game, um, uh, the tactical game to perfection, um, and um, again in one of those circumstances, is it that uh, we were just absolutely superb? We were, or were Barcelona very very bad? And they were. Um, my prediction was uh, not to not uh, not that we would beat Barcelona four nil, but um, I also took into account that Iniesta was playing, um, and also I thought Rakitic would start ahead of Andre Gomez. Now Andre Gomez and uh, Sergio Roberto to me are not Barcelona standard players, and uh, Draxler had a field day against uh, against both of them because both of them play on the right hand side. Draxler uh, was playing on the left hand side. Um, having Rakitic on the pitch really would have uh, changed a lot of things. I mean, really, really a lot of things. But I was actually very, very surprised at how poor uh, Messi and uh, and Suarez were, and uh, how uh, easy Prinel uh, Kempembe made it look to defend against the best player in the world, because it it didn't look that that hard to do, you know, on the pitch. But he, just, he was just so good. He was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, and you just, uh, I don't know, you, you just say, you had to pinch yourself and say, really, is this really Barcelona? I mean, are they are they really not all that? It's just, really. So it was uh, one of those nights, and, and the history, I mean, uh, uh, make no mistake, this is, this is a historic result for PSG, for French football, and... Um, just uh, never, never seen anything like it since uh, since I've been a PSG fan since '98, which is quite a long time. And I think that almost sounds like an iron copy of what we said on Thursday evening, which is mm. strange that everyone seems to have the same opinion. Let's, yeah, let's, let's. <laughs> it might be a slight downturn from that, but the game on on Sunday, Eric. It was a little bit of a frustrating one. Toulouse were excellent defensively, that's no doubt. But did Unai Emery maybe make a couple too many changes? They've changed the fullbacks. They changed a couple of players in midfield as well, and they've also brought Lucas on for for Di Maria, who wasn't playing. But was it maybe too much of a mix-up that led to them sort of maybe being a bit stifled? Uh too much. I I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think that we can say that in hindsight, but. Looking at the match ahead, ahead, I mean, yeah, you want to, you know, continue to give these young players opportunities. I mean, I think particularly about Nkunku, who I did not think had a very good match. Uh, I think that you want to give these guys, you want to give these guys the chances. Kimpembe, as well with with uh, Silva being out, you want to give these guys the chances to to succeed and to allow them to build their confidence, to have that experience that's in their locker when they need it on a big stage. You know, as we saw from Kimpembe last midweek. So I don't think you can really fault Emery's selection. I think that, you know, these this team's played a lot of matches to this point, uh, and they didn't really even have much of a winter break with that trip they had taken to, to Africa as well. So, you know, I, I don't think it's irresponsible on Emery's part. I don't think that it's something he got wrong. I think that Toulouse are a good team, you know, on their day. And we'd seen them stutter a little bit through the late autumn, but I think particularly – 
uh, bringing back in, uh, bringing in Delore, having that that uh, that that being free of injuries. I mean, we'd seen you know uh, injuries of a decent spell for Blanc, uh, for Isadiop had missed I think four matches through suspension maybe, um, it, and yeah, they hadn't they hadn't uh, had a, a, a full strength first team to draw. On. And I know that Jesse P, P was in a midfield, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that we can, we should discredit Toulouse too much either here. I think that it was just you know one of these matches that shows that Liga uh, is strong this season. That you know whoever wins the title isn't going to have done it by walking to the title. They're going to do it through you know grinding out results. You know, and that's the same thing we've seen from PSG in in the past. I mean, whether it's Ibrahimovic scoring a free kick on seventy minutes to win one nil you know, against not or whatever, whatever the results have been in, during the period that PSG have had the success, it's not, it's not ever been an easy thing because this team wear a target on their back. And, you know, if you're going away and you're Toulouse who, you know, play with a physical style, uh, then to set up defensively and to frustrate PSG is to be expected. And, it, you know, sometimes you can break them down, sometimes you can't. I don't think that we should take anything away from, from PSG on the night or, or anything away from the players that played or Emery. It was just one of those things that illustrates the strength of the league. And I don't think it, you should read too much into it. I mean, you know, PSG have, you know, a long way to go and, get, and are still, still have a very good chance of repeating their triple or their triple. So let's see how it goes. I, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the chicken little skies falling approach to this, this match in isolation. Yeah. I do want to give some credit to Toulouse because they were, terrific defensively and especially Francois Mumbanje, the left back he was I don't think I saw him beat in the second half I thought he was absolutely terrific alongside Diop and Julian and Amian and, and Lafont that young defense was really really good and the midfield worked extra hard that had all that Toivon in it, it was <laughs> for the last 10 minutes which was the strangest sight I couldn't even believe he was on the field that playing in that because I was counting I was counting Toivon and I was counting Braithwaite I was Jean and Delors I was like that's too many strikers, surely. Then I saw Toven and playing in that midfield role. Absolutely crazy. But despite De- that... Delors is a good signing. You have to you have to admit, it's it's very, very inspired from from the, well, the club Delors in general. And, and, and Amian, too. I mean, you know, Steve Iago, yeah, he's been a decent league on standard player for quite a while now. And it, mm. there were some questions about whether Amian could take that step up. But, you know, I know he's in a youth international, but... You know, he's someone who I think is also quietly impressed. He's not quite as dynamic going forward as is Iago, but uh, you know, he's he's a really impressive prospect. I'm also going to give a quick prop to Jean as well. Who I thought was really good in this game and put a good shift mm. in. He's it, we've not really seen him when he was at Troyes. Um, he was good in Ligue 2, but Ligue 1 really struggled to get many opportunities. He's obviously not really played for Monaco, but I thought he was really good in this game as well. And they're attacking. Ethos is really interesting to watch, but let's go back to PSG. Um, despite that, Philip, does this feel like a chance miss to really close the gap on Monaco? Well, of course. Um, it um, it was well. First of all, it was uh, it was it was bigged up as uh, the, the the next game. So you just beat the best, uh, arguably the best team in the world, falling at home, um, and uh, now you're going to play against Toulouse. Which uh, you know you would say logic logic has it uh, that uh, they, they should they should beat them too they should score at least one, but uh, that's that's what um, 
that's what Liga sides are good at. They're good at uh, at sitting back and uh, and defending, defending quite deep and quite well. I mean, being extremely disciplined at the back, which just was was not what Barcelona uh, did on did on did on Tuesday, and they had uh, Samuel Umtiti on on the pitch. So of course it's uh, it was extremely frustrating. I saw I saw it was um it was it was not a good game to watch. I I I, uh, I, I said as much uh, I said as much last night, um, and uh, that PSG again. I'm not I'm not that uh, difficult to 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 defend again against but you know when you've got um the back four of that quality with job and julian you've got left point goal you've got uh, you've got blood doing um doing quite uh, quite a bit of work and uh, you basically got uh, 10 men behind the ball even though when tools had the balls they did go forward very very uh, decently and with uh, with some some venom some some purpose but it just um just just feels uh, such a such a typical PSG performance uh, being uh, quite uh, frustrated by uh, by toulouse and um, I don't know. Maybe they're running out of ideas when they're facing a side. When they're facing a side, they're sitting so uh, sitting so deep. And you know, it is it is it is it is quite frustrating because um, let's uh, let's bring up that stat. It, it is Page's fifth home draw of the season, which is quite you know, which is quite a lot. And so the fifth time unbeaten, unbeaten at home. But uh, this is the fifth time that uh, Page have failed to win at the Parc des Princes, which is quite. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. It is quite a lot. It happened. Uh, it's happened more times this season than the last season. So, yeah, two points. Two points lost. Um, and uh, well, it it just makes it just makes the title race even more interesting now than ever. With Monaco dropping points, you expect Piaget to to peg them back. They don't. Just you know, fascinating stuff. Mm, and it keeps toing and froing as well. I, I just mm. wanted a, a quick discussion about a piece I wrote for the on the verdict um, earlier this week and that was on Edison Cavani and if he's world class um, I thought it was an interesting discussion given his goal scoring record and, and the, the way we talk about his movement Eric and bits do you think he can be classed in the world class category or do you think that the amount of chances he does miss that are clear cut um, maybe just pull him away from that category it's uh, a tough question I know it is. <laughs> So I think for me, I, I look at strikers that are, are world-class, and I think we that I see Luis Suarez, I see Robert Lewandowski, I see Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I see... Is he a striker? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he... Number, number, yeah, clear number nine, okay. Yeah. yeah. He's, his position is evolved, but yes. Uh, and, mm. and Sergio Aguero, a win fit. Yeah. Uh, is Cavani as efficient of a scorer as any of those three that I'm using an example? And there are others that we can bring into this debate as well, Higuain, et cetera. But is, is Cavani as efficient of a scorer as those three? No. No. But does his movement, does his ability to track back to be a more complete football player, not just a, a goal scorer, uh, add something to that argument? Yes. And I think that... As frustrating as his missing chances can be, what he adds to the team in a more holistic way of looking at things, I think does make him just about world-class. I, I, I do struggle with this because I, I know that strikers are supposed to score. Mm. But, you know, as much as I have, you know, 
a lot of a lot of love for Alexander Lacazette. Is he world class? No, but does he have a better scoring record? And he ha- has he had a better scoring record in the past than in Cavani in terms of converting chances and and scoring from open play and penalties? Yes, haha. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got a better record, right? In terms of goals per minute, uh, goals per goals uh, per appearance in the time that they've both been in Liga. But he, because he doesn't have the same work rate, the same drive, the same determination that does that does Cavani. I I don't I, I think that makes the difference, and, and I think those are you know some decent comparisons to make in terms of making in terms of making this argument. So yeah, it, it, I, I would say that as a goal scorer, he's not. As a football player, he is. Yeah, I thought, I thought this was an interesting argument because when you look at the stats as well, in 23 or 24, including a substitute appearance, league and games, he scored 25 goals, seven and seven in the Champions League. There was also an interesting stat from who scored from just before the winter break ended, which is in Europe, he scored the most clear-cut chances and also missed the most clear-cut chances this season. Uh, Philip, what do you think? Hmm. Well, I was going to say no, but Eric made a great point about uh, about being a complete uh, complete footballer, and that uh, some strikers do have a better goal uh, goal scoring record than Cavani. There are not many, um, but uh, are just not um, not as complete as he is. So uh, I'm I'm going to say he's uh, probably yeah, he's probably not, but he's really uh, the best of the rest, shall we say? Some in some in some kind some kind of way. I mean, it's extremely harsh, but you know, I've seen him, I've seen him miss some some absolute howlers as well. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's almost the conclusion I came to. I think I again with Eric, I leaned on the side of he's maybe just world class in my yeah. view. In, in the fact that his goal record is so difficult to argue with, especially when you add in Champions League and the fact that the only team he didn't score against was the uh, was was um it was Ludogorets, wasn't it in the in the uh, in a PSG's yeah. group, I'm just reminding myself. Yeah, I think it was the one of the games against them he didn't score against. So he scored in both games against Arsenal. Scored in both games against Bar- uh, uh, Basel. Scored against Barcelona as well, which is a really good goal as well. It, it's difficult to argue with, but we'll, we'll move on. Did he score in? Go ahead. Did he score in Basel? Uh, yes, he did. Was... Yeah. I'm pretty oh, sure yes, he scored in both. Yes, he, yes, games. yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, it was the Lukaku um, game he didn't score in. Yeah, but uh, I mean, aren't we a bit too uh, too demanding of what is a world class player these days? I mean, uh, I know that uh, I know that growing up, it was uh, it was um, really all, all they had uh, was uh, in Serie A was uh, was the Batistutas and the Crespos, and uh, I don't know. It just seems much uh, much less um, common these days to have uh, to have a true number nine who just scores goals for fun. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just doesn't seem to go on trees anymore. <laughs> Personally, I define it as I define the player being world class as being in the top five at their position. Yeah. Is Cavani that? I, I think the three players I mentioned in Higuain are better than him. Mm. Beyond that, I mean, can you really say that anybody that there's another player out there that's a definitively a better player than him? Mm. I'm not even player? sure. I'm not even sure if Higuain is a better finisher than, than Cavani. I mean, is a yeah, I, I don't watch. I don't. I don't watch Serie A that often. I do remember he 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 does. You know he does show. He does score a couple of goals. Does he? Great? When you've seen the World Cup final, you've seen yeah. the Copa America final in 2015. Yeah. Uh, he he's also bottled his own chances. I mean. Yeah. yeah. But I I would actually yeah compare both um, both of their their respective finishes as being uh, you know quite 
quite okay, but not, you know, just uh, not not as clinical as uh, I don't know uh, uh, a Michael Owen would have been, or something like that. I always think Rude Van Nistelrooy for clear. Yeah, <laughs> Van Nistelrooy, Van Nistelrooy is, another, is another great example. Wait, yeah, just a, just a true number nine, a bit like uh, Filippo Inzaghi. Also, Van Nistelrooy had a bit more to his game than Filippo Inzaghi, but it just just the guy whose uh, whose only job is to score goals, and he's only interested in that. And I think we've lost that. I, I think we, uh, we we've lost that, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Because Cavani is complete, he does track back. He does he does make uh, great great runs. Whereas uh, when you had a uh, people in Zagi, it was uh, it was just he didn't do anything. We just scored goals. You know, a bit like Ibrahimovic against Saint Etienne on Thursday, where he just didn't do much. But he, you know, he <laughs> it so happened that he scored a hat trick. Well, leading on from that to a, another Italian striker, and with the ah. teams previously <laughs> who mentioned drop points, Nice's victory over Lorient was even more important. But the real headline grabber was Mario Balotelli's red card again. It's his third this season. Uh, his goal scoring has also come to a halt as well. And now, <laughs> to compound that misery, um, Alisson Play has been confirmed to be out for the season. Um, that's come through during the show's recording, <laughs> which puts a weirder. Uh, Tint on this question, Philip. Does Balotelli have a future at the Allianz Riviera? He really needs to step up now if he does want one. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did call it though. I did. I did say uh, at the end, our last podcast of the year, 2016. That I think we've seen the best of him, and uh, that we were all quite impressed by what he has given to to Nice. And uh, since then, it's been pretty much confirmed that Balotelli, um, I don't know, lacks uh, lacks motivation. Valentin Isrik said. Um, to uh, I think it was after the um, uh, um, the game last week, the game last week. I think it was against Saint Etienne, or maybe maybe somebody else. Maybe maybe at Ren. And he said, uh, "Yeah, Balotelli. Uh, you, you know, we, we we all know he's better than us. I mean, he he's up there with uh, the best uh, best strikers in the world. Um, is is Balotelli world class? Well, um, and uh, but he said he." Just doesn't put a shift in as much as we do because he doesn't because uh, because he is Balotelli he is he is Mario he he is he is lazy and he does stupid things and uh, given his age it's not you know it's it's unlikely that it will it will change it just needs to be um, you, you just need to be to to be lucky with that kind of guy because he can win you a he can win you a game by 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 his own but. Uh, um, given, I've always thought of Ligue 1 as being quite uh, with a def defensive, uh, quite protected by referees, and very much, um, uh, yeah, uh, defensive mind, very aggressive towards uh, when when challenges were made. Each time there's a challenge, you've got the whole bench uh, screaming and saying that there goes a foul. He should be booked when really all he did was touch his arm. So, um, I just don't. I just don't think that uh, he's in the right league. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't. I don't even know if he has a right league or not. But I think. I think league definitely not isn't a, a nice fit because now defenders um, now more because he's got. It, it is his third red card, which is a lot. Um, more than ever, uh, the defenders know that they can provoke him and that he may resort to that provocation. That and, and the this referees. Was against, this, this was, yeah, this was the referee, Philip. This wasn't yeah. Alatelli himself. I mean, but, it wasn't him acting it, acting out towards another player. But still, I mean, it is it is a sign of weakness that defenders will try to um, you know um, manipulate in in some way. 
I would say. No, I, I, I don't know. This news that plays out is, uh, I think, devastating. Oh, yeah. No, I think that, you know, I, I had written one of the talking points in the Adam and I's review piece was that, oh, hey, you know, look, you know, Mar- or Nice got points when the chips were down. They had a, a tough match. And, you know, Lorient had had their number earlier in the season, winning that uh, Coupe de France match with, without uh, Sari and, uh, and, uh, Belanda. Yes. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, you know, it, it could have been a tough match. Instead, they, they ground out their trademark 1-0 win, and they, they looked yeah, relatively decent doing it. Uh, but now, gosh, without a striker, I mean, you know, where are goals coming from in this team? I mean, you know, Acerich, Belanda, uh, I mean, it, you know, I mean, Marseille showed at the weekend they can get it done without an orthodox striker, but uh, it's how that, how that team even evolves tactically. Like, who, do you, who do you play if you want to keep playing a 4-3-3 or a 5-3-2? Belhanda has the physical presence, I think, to play as a striker, but then who takes his role on the left or behind or behind the center forward? It's really not a uh, not a pleasant situation to consider for Nice. Is it? Is it? Do, does Favre even have a choice? I mean, uh, I mean, to, to to me, I would start Anastasios uh, Dunis um, all the time because that's the only play he has. I, I'm I'm not quite uh, sold on Belhanda being able to do that force nine kind of kind of deal. No, so, I mean yeah. I don't know, Philip. I I, I I would disagree with that. Actually, he did he, he did have a decent goal record at Montpellier. He's what six no, one, six two. He's he's got a wiry strength to him. I think he's mm-hmm. physically adept enough to do it. Uh, I I I love Donis, but uh, is he really the type of player that you want to rely on week in and week out in a title chase? I mean, well, no, but you know, <laughs> it's the only choice you have. Well, you, you, I mean, yeah, of course, you, you could put uh, you could put Bilando in the, in that uh, in that position, but if you want a two uh, two number nine, I mean, there's no there's no there's just nobody else. Well, what about Lusamba on the wing, Acerik on the other wing, and mm. and Belanda centrally? I mean, look, Marseille played this four three three against Rennes at the weekend, and it did. Yeah, and Clinton Algy is not the lead striker in a four three three. Never. I mean, he's five seven, one hundred and forty five pounds, probably. He's a little guy. He's just fast. And that worked, you know, I, I, I think Belanda offers more than that because he is, he is a more intimidating physical presence. I think that Belanda could work as, as a number nine. And then we, we go back to the original problem, which was uh, Marseille did have uh, Tauvin Payet and, um, and uh, uh, who was it? I think it was Lopez. maybe it was it was, it was Lopez. That's sorry, um, and I just don't uh, I just don't see that kind of um, uh, creativity as those, those kind of creative players uh, at Nice. But you know, given given that Balotelli will be uh, will be suspended um, and uh, that uh, player is out for the season, well, they have to they they could they could also rely on on, on Balotelli as well. But uh, my point is, I don't think they've got enough um, uh, creative midfielders. Aside from Bilanda, I mean, uh, Acerich, Sari, Cosiello. I mean, you don't have time for those players creatively. Well, it's uh, to 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 me, there's a good they're good in midfield, especially. I, w- I wasn't talking about uh, Eswick, but uh, Sari, Sari, and uh, and and Cosiello, uh, more more of a um, box to box kind of uh, kind of stuff, but not um, not not the same mold as uh, shall we say Tova, uh, Tova, Payet, and, and and the other one. I mean, they're both fine. I mean, they're all fine. They're all fine players, of course. Right. But, um, yeah. But what I want to say is, okay, so for me, watching Cosiello play, you know, he played, yeah. in that di- he played in that diamond last season with Ben Arfa behind the strikers. 
He's been played in this midfield three this season. But when I watch him play, his ability to run, to run with the ball at his feet and the ability to pick a pass, I think he could succeed in a more advanced role. I think he just hasn't been used that way because that's not how Nice has set up tactically. And there's also been other players ahead of him in, yeah. in, in those different roles. I don't because know. He, had lo- he has lost his place to Valter, though, this season. Because Valter offers a little bit more physically and defensively. Yeah. If, if you're playing yeah. in that 5-3-2 and getting width from, uh, from, the, from the, the fullbacks, Pereira and Dalbert, when Pereira was, wasn't, wasn't injured, uh, you need a little bit more defensive solidity in midfield. And, and, yeah. and Traziolo also has that, you know, that, uh, that rhythmic ability with these short passes that uh, dovetails very well with the way that Seri and Cyprian play. I mean... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that, that Kozielo could offer more if he's given a little bit more license to get forward creatively. Hmm. It could be an interesting one. He could, also, yeah, he could, <laughs> he could do that with, uh, with some guy like Lusamba um, chipping in, in midfield in a more um, stable role, more physical role um, next to Cyprien. Could, yeah, that could work. It, also, Obadi. Obadi is really a nice, uh, a nice uh, yeah, position. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I'm just thinking as well, all the sounds of of player being out, obviously he's out for a couple of weeks as well, probably for a suspension, but this sounds almost like a a movie script where Mario Balotelli can be the saviour finally, the redemption story of the Italian. Is is that maybe a possibility? I mean, he's shown earlier this season that he can score goals. Well, what's the alternative for Nice? Uh, I mean, what's, what's the aim? I mean... They're pretty much destined destined to finish third. I mean, that's, that's what everybody is thinking, isn't it? So, Sorry. what would be the achievement? Would, would that be finishing in the top two? Because it looks, uh, I mean, they're not. They, they are still equal on points with PSG, um, but uh, most most of yeah, most of the pundits are saying you know they're going to be third. They're going to be. Uh, they, they, they're just not going to be up there at the end of the season. Um, and to be honest, if they finish third, everybody would be fine with that. I don't think so, they're out of the title race yet, though. Because you, no, no, I, they're not. That, that's that's the point. They're not. Everybody says they are, but they they're not. They're just they're just what? It's, uh, uh, three, yeah, three points behind Monaco. That's that's not a yeah. lot. With the two teams ahead ahead of them being still in three competitions, anything mm. can happen. You know. Yeah. Nice have yeah. the league to focus on, and I know the injuries and suspensions are going to. But Pereira's back soon enough as well. I don't. I don't think we should underestimate, you know, how important he was in the first half of the season. Who? So, Ricardo Pereira. Oh, Pereira, yeah. So, right. yeah. Plus, they don't have Europe, so. Uh, and I, I, I just want to mention a quick bit on Balotelli, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna vet this with the fact that I'm probably not his biggest fan, really, especially because he's a former Manchester City Liverpool player, which you know doesn't always go mm. down well in my books, mm. but. <sighs> One of the red cards this season was a second booking that's been rescinded. So let's the overblown sort of nature of maybe three red cards is is maybe throwing a little bit out of it. This one at the weekend, it's a straight red for a, a comment at a referee. We don't know what's been said, so it's it's incredibly tough to judge, especially when I'm trying to think of something you could say to a referee to get a straight red card. It has to be pretty bad, but. It just feels like, and I've said this before, well, I've felt this before about Balotelli, it just seems like such an unbelievable waste. And I just hope that it's not when he's in his 30s and he's probably quit the game that he's thinking back to the moments where he could have really done something. And hopefully, I really hope that with that talent he's got and the 
that the thing he he can do and the smile that he had on his face at the start of the season, if that can come back, if he starts scoring goals, if he can push this team further and further forward, it would it would make such a lovely story. But whether that's just my head saying that more than anything, and like I say, I'm not always his biggest fan, but it just feels such a waste if it doesn't just give it that one last real force. And it almost seems like the why always me thing. It does seem like everyone else is against him where you see in all these different places that they should get rid of him, that his career's over with, and that, he's, that it's this is was his last opportunity and that he's sort of wasted it again. I really hope that he can come back and prove everyone wrong. Um, and whether that happens, whether that's me living in a fantasy world, <laughs> remains to be seen. But I, I do... Re- it's a strange thing to say, but I, I do really hope that he can turn this around and make, make something of the season because it would be an unbelievable story if he can be the one now with player out as well to be the one to turn everything around and give them what would be a monumental even finishing the Champions League is monumental for them but that's all we have time is for it, is it, I mean, is it even a question that they're not going to finish in the top three right now I mean it does look more yeah. than likely I, th- I think it's I think it's done, but uh, that's all we have time for this week. Anyway, my thanks to Kevin from earlier, Eric and Philip. Join us for the preview show hosted by Eric on Thursday, and we will see you here at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.